The holiday of Tisha B'Av begins this evening, which commemorates uh, the destruction of two temples and many other anti-Semitic occurrences throughout our history, just to make many happy. Um, and this day, as we know, is infamous for many things. We're not going to get into all of them, but it began with, with way back when with these spies. Someone is... I need to mute someone. I don't know who it is. Okay. Okay, so everyone just mute themselves and then we'll unmute you if you have to ask a question. Anyway, so the so the many things that occurred on this day, we're not gonna get it with this is not a philosophy class or history class. Um, but so we'd like to discuss the relevance to medicine, as we usually try to do. We make an attempt at that. Doesn't always work. Um, so in uh, so a few things. Obviously, we're living in very interesting times, um, and the we're in the midst of a pandemic. Um, doesn't seem to be going anywhere too soon. So we we did mention we discussed a little bit way back when at the fast of Shavasa Batamas um, some of the laws relevant. But um, two things I'm going to begin with. So the question is really people who are quarantined or suspected of quarantine who had COVID um, and are still recovering who had COVID and are um, already recovered people who are scared of getting COVID do they have, should they be keeping many of the halachot of uh, Tisha B'Av? that's the question how's it working this year we're not talking about going to shul that's probably no one should be doing that um, where that's different that's a question of you know of uh, contracting the disease, we discussed that already, but I want to read you, this was in yesterday's Jerusalem Post, uh, Chief Rabbi says COVID-19 patients can't, can, cannot fast on Tisha B'Av and you shall shorten, and they should have shortened prayers. Um, so this is again, is, is an article in yesterday's Jerusalem Post, to our sorrow the plague is intensifying and we need heavenly mercy, wrote Lau. Um, so he writes like this, As Tisha B'Av nears, Israel's chief rabbi, David Lau, rules that coronavirus patients should not fast, even if they feel well, and that prayer services should be shortened due to the need for social distancing and a severe heat wave that hit the country. Um, quote, To our sorrow, the plague is intensifying and we need heavenly mercy. End quote, wrote Lau, explaining that it was bringing the religious ruling alongside health ministry regulations which um, must be followed fully, quote, end quote. Okay, so the chief rabbi is obviously saying you should follow the health regulations, but besides that, he's saying, halachically speaking, no one who, any coronavirus patient should not be fasting. Okay, that was his general rule, which I think uh, more or less everyone would agree to. If you currently have coronavirus, you should not be fasting. Um, um, and then he continues on. And Tisha B'Av, which falls on Wednesday... Yeah. Yes. Yes. I'm not, I'm not going to be finished for a while. So go ahead. Meaning they're, you're saying they're not, do they think they might have coronavirus? What are you saying? Or they're just regular? They tested positive? Yeah, so I would say in that case, I think he's going to talk about it maybe, but in that case, once you tested positive, I mean, you need to take all precautions, not only saying for other people, for yourself. You need to be strong. You need to take your vitamins, your zinc, your, not going to get into Trump's, uh, advice here, but whatever you need to take to to prevent it from getting worse, you should be doing. Which I I would I would imagine includes all food. Well, that that's true. That's a true statement. But I would venture to say, and again, you you guys couldn't comment on this much more than I can, which is that. 
I think everyone agrees that when your body's fighting a virus, even if there's no outward symptoms, you need to, you know, have all your nutrition and whatever you, you know, sleep eight hours or nine hours a night. So, again, this is, that's not fatal, so there's a difference. I mean, this could be fatal, potentially. That's the difference here. Yeah, but not for most healthy people, but, but it's, a, it's a valid point. So we're going to get to that. All, by the way, and we're going to discuss that in a second, Tisha B'Av is not like Yom Kippur. It's not a biblical fast, it's rabbinical, and therefore the rabbis never instituted a fast, instituted a fast for anyone who's ill, even, even, not, a fa- even not a dangerous illness. So we'll talk about that in a second. So it is a valid point. But what I'm saying is, surely in the case of COVID-19, I would venture to say any doctor would tell you you know, have all your nutrition as much as possible, you know, your your supplements, whatever you need to make sure your body's healthy enough to fight the virus. So that's what, even without without the Allah, I'm just saying that, that I'm assuming that would be standard medical advice, even even with knowledge or without knowledge, I'm assuming just for any virus, you're correct, um, especially if there's potential here, as we know, it could really harm you. So that's what I would venture to say. But there's no question, if someone is tested positive, they should not be fasting. That's what I would tell you as a rabbi. Um, I thought you were asking someone who has, you know, just a regular person who doesn't, who's just living in a place where there's a pandemic. That's also questionable. Should you, should you be fasting? And that's the, we discussed that in the context of uh, Israel Salanter and the, that whole story with the, with cholera. So, but, but let's finish this article. But it's a valid point that Ron's making, as we're going to see. Tishabav, since it's rabbinical, even though it's a strict, it's the strictest rabbinical fast, but it's still rabbinical at the end of the day, and therefore we're going to be pretty lenient um, when it comes to pikuach nefesh. So, um, he says, those who have tested po- positive, he says that, by the way, the next paragraph, look at that. Those who have tested positive for the coronavirus, this is the chief rabbi speaking, are forbidden from fasting, even if they feel well. Lao ruled. Anyone with symptoms, including a fever, weakness, cough, or a lack of the sense of taste and smell, should not fast as well. It means even if you didn't test positive, um, but you have any of these symptoms, he's saying that's also a reason not, not a reason not to fast. He says it's prohibited for you to fast. Manny, go ahead. Um, yes, not only a token, as, as if someone, let's say, is weak generally and they older person. So if they can fast, this goes for Yom Kippur and to, as for Tishabav, they should fast as much as they, they are able to up until, you know, up until the point where they feel like they they have to break their fast. For sure there's value to that. As a matter of fact, I just remembered as we're speaking that I did get a, a question, a WhatsApp question from someone a few days ago, and I didn't respond about, because um, this is he's someone who's a diabetic, and he, he just, I'm reading it now, he says, Shall I treat Tishabov? And he says, Hello, Rabbi, I hope you and the family are doing well. Shall I treat Tishabov like Yom Kippur with regards to halachic fasting? Meaning, because he breaks his fast on Yom Kippur at a certain, when he feels weak, um, at a certain point. He fasts as much as he's able to, and then, so he wants to know, is Tishabov the same? So I didn't respond to him, so I hope he got an answer from someone else. Um, Okay, so, so the Chief Rabbi continues here in this article that Shelley posted for us. Um, so that's, so again, he's saying very clearly, he's, he's, he's addressing Ron's question, he's saying once you tested positive, even if you have no symptoms, you are prohibited from, it's forbidden to fast. So that's an answer to Ron's question, at least according to the Chief Rabbi, and I would agree with him. Um, I'm the Assistant Chief Rabbi in Houston. Um, so he continues there and then if you had if you didn't test positive but you have any of the symptoms such as fever weakness cough or lack of sense uh, sense of taste or smell you also should not fast coronavirus patients who are recovering he says let's say you had coronavirus um, but you, you let's say I don't know he doesn't say if you tested negative already but you also should not be fasting one who has recovered entirely but still feels weak should not fast either so he's saying even if you're totally recovered from coronavirus, but you have you feel weak, you should eat. Those who are in quarantine. So now there's a good question. Let's say I didn't, I don't have coronavirus. I wasn't tested, but I was exposed to someone, or I came from a state um, 
or I went to a state that, that is forcing us Texans to quarantine. So he says, those who are in quarantine but still feel well, so they have no um, symptoms or any anything related to coronavirus, but they're in quarantine because they were either exposed to someone, etc. Says those who are in quarantine but still feel well and do not have symptoms should fast. He says in that case they should fast. If they feel weak, they should drink um, 37 mils of water every nine minutes. That's that uh, thing we do, um, which we're not going to get into today. If they still feel weak, they should eat as they would regularly. So again, he's saying if you're in quarantine but you have no um, symptoms whatsoever and you did not test positive, um, obviously if you tested negative that's something else but if you didn't so then you should uh you should fast but if you again feel weak then you say you should start eating in that minimal way as much as possible um i have two kids by the way who are officially in quarantine they came one came from new york last week and we're now in houston and my daughter came back from camp where like it was just a bunch of kids from all over the country with no, uh, with no precautions being taken, so they're both in quarantine. They're fine, but they and they did test. They went for a test. We haven't gotten the result. I just when they came back, I made them test. Said if you don't want to have to stay in your room for the next two weeks, then you need to go get tested. So they went to get tested. Uh, we haven't gotten the results yet. Um, so we have a, we have in our dining room we have a 16 foot pay table. So they sit on one end and we sit at the other, and they have to eat through their mask. <laughs> um, okay, so then he goes on. Now, this, so there's another important question which we're going to get to, which is there's another prohibition as we're going to see on, on just as Yom Kippur we prohibit um, bathing for pleasure and washing, uh, washing your hands, washing any parts of your body for non-sanitary reasons. So can I wash, as we know, a big part of preventing COVID-19 is washing your hands with soap for 20 seconds. Um, and then there's the sanitizer. So can you use that on on Tisha Is that considered washing, which is technically prohibited on Tisha Says the chief rabbi in this in the Jerusalem Post article, one should wash their hands and use sanitizer, despite the rule usually on Tisha that one should not wash their body, in parentheses, or at least more than the tips of their fingers, in parentheses. Now stress the particular cure. Something just change there, it just refreshed my article. I don't know if they're changing his ruling here. Sorry, one second, I lost the place now. So he says, one should, again, one should wash their hands, use hand sanitizer, despite the rule usually on Tishabov that one should not wash their body. Um, Laos stressed that particular, quote, particular care must be taken in maintaining hygiene, end quote, and that any part of the body that needs to be sanitized should be sanitized as needed. Um, okay, so that's that's very clear, which we'll see is not so simple, and I want to get to that. There's another responsum that I s was printed yesterday that might seem to disagree with that, and I'd like to address that. So, to finish the article here, those who are permitted to eat on Tisha B'Av should only eat as much as absolutely necessary. This is man was maybe addressing Manny's question, and only eat at most one cooked dish at each meal, meaning you shouldn't have a filet mignon uh, steak dinner on Tisha B'Av, even if you're allowed to eat you know, you should stick to your hard-boiled egg or whatever it is. Don't, don't make it too fancy. Okay, everyone, including those who are not fasting, should follow the other laws concerning mourning on Tisha B'Av. One should consult their rabbi with any questions concerning the laws and customs of the day. Due to necessity to limit time spent in public and the severe heat wave occurring this week in our country, one should, meaning in Israel, one should shorten the recital of the keynote a series of dirges, that how you pronounce it? Dirges? I'm familiar with that word. Recited after the reading of Eicha. Only the kinot, he says, which kinot should be said in public, that require a minion should be said, but everything else should be said at home. So the kinot that are, don't require a minion, he says, stay at home and do them there. Yes, Shelley, unmute yourself. I think it's Corona. I don't think heat waves alone would not merit most of what he's saying. Um, there's always a heat wave in Israel in the summer, um, <laughs> right. right? But there are. They they do talk about walking out and you know, walking. You know, you shouldn't go to shul and heat waves. That has have seen stuff about that before. But here is actually 
Oh, the normal cases, they say stay inside with air conditioning and you could fast. Don't go to shul because if by walking to shul it's going to cause you to break your fast. Same thing on Yom Kippur. I always have to tell this to people every year. People who are, you know, elderly or nursing mothers or pregnant women who they say, well, if I, I'm not going to fast if I go to shul. So I say, don't go to shul. Even diabetics, stay home. If that, if by staying home and not walking out in the Houston heat, you'll fast longer, or you might be able to fast, make it through the whole day by staying in air conditioned home. It's better not to go to shul. Shul is not all it's cracked up to be. It's not so, uh, you know, God forbid, I don't want to put down shuls, but you can, God hears you at home, praying at home just as much. And uh, listen, you got to pay your dues, even if you don't go to shul. That's for sure. But as far as uh, God, He hears you at home. Manny. Yeah, well, it's, it's, uh, if you have any book of Tisha B'Av, you just say as much as say it all. By the way, what's amazing this year is, of course, since it's not Shabbat, so even all, even Orthodox schools are, everyone's having Zoom, even the ones that are open, so you can live stream any keynote service and, and do it along with them. There's many of them very nice explanatory. If anyone wants, I'll send out links after this class. So there's great stuff that you can listen to, very inspiring from all over the world. Um, uh, that are live streaming their services this year specifically. So it's not just the services; it's explanatory. Yeah, yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah, you do. You do everything regular. There's nothing that you do different except reading the Torah. If you have a Torah at home, you can you can read the Torah, but don't, don't make a bracha. Yeah. Um, okay, so. He says right away, it's the next paragraph. He says, Kinot can be recited even without a minion, so the rest of the Kinot can be recited at home. In, he ends off, um, quote, in prayer to the healer of all flesh, that relief and a cure will be sent and the plague will be stopped and they will merit to see the temple built speedily in our times. Um, Rabbi Lau. So that's the article, and then at the bottom they post times, fast start and end times for Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, Haifa, Eilat, Beersheba, New York, and Los Angeles, because that's all that exists. Um, is New York and Los Angeles. Anything outside in Israel is just New York and Los Angeles. Yes. No tefillin until the afternoon. Until Mencha. You put tefillin in Mencha time. Okay, so, so that's a nice article. It's not what I, I... You can read the article yourself. You don't need me to read that. But um, what I want to get to... So a so, so few issues. First of all, there's a response uh, that seems to disagree with the chief rabbi written yesterday that I want to get to about um, washing your hands uh, related to various topics we discussed um, in the past. So, but first I'm going to just read you the Shulchan Aruch to address Ron's point. So the Code of Jewish Law says that there's two fascinating things I want to read you. First of all, the Code of Jewish Law in itself about an ill person generally speaking on Tisha B'Av. So he says, um, this is... Um, in the chapter on Tisha B'av, he says, Chaya, firstly he says, a woman who gave birth, Kol Shloshim Yom, for all 30 days after birth, the Chain Chola, and so to any ill person, Shut Sarech Lechel, who has to eat, Ain't Srichen Omed. They don't need an assessment by a doctor. They don't have to ask their physician, Am I able to fast? Am I not? We don't, we don't, we don't physicians are irrelevant to this question, as opposed to, let's say, Yom Kippur where we only allow someone to eat based on a, physici a physician's assessment. Um, here he says, a woman who gave birth within 30 days, which normally on Yom Kippur we require this woman to fast if she's able to, um, after, within oh, the first seven days after birth, says on Yom Kippur she doesn't fast, but afterwards, from seven, um, after seven days, technically she's obligated to fast, unless she feels weak and she feels ill. But if she feels okay, she has to fast. Um, here on Tisha B'av, because it's rabbinical, it's not a biblical fast, so therefore the rabbis said, up until 30 days, the woman who gave birth doesn't have to fast, or any ill person, again, they don't need an assessment from a physician, they don't need a note from the doctor, um, they automatically can, can eat. If they, want, if they feel weak, if they want to eat, you feed them immediately. Why? And this is addressing Ron's point from before. It says, in a place of illness, the rabbis never instituted the fast. The fast was instituted for healthy people. Physically healthy people. not um, right. So, so therefore, um, 
anyone who's in any way ill, well, there was no fast. It's not like Yom Kippur, the Torah says fast. It's a biblical obligation. Now I have to figure out, do I fit the criteria of an ill person, do I not? You know, when, do I, when am I allowed to break my fast if I'm diabetic, etc.? So there's all these guidelines. When it comes to Tishabav, you're sick. The rabbis never instituted the concept of fasting if for someone who's ill. Yes. Ron. What the chief rabbi is saying? No, what he's saying is even if you don't feel ill, if you just saw a COVID patient, you, you went into a supermarket and you met a guy and he breathed on you. Yeah, but it, yeah, but the, the, again, it is a chedish because the Shulchan Aruch is talking about someone who's ill. It says it doesn't say you know someone who you know was exposed to illness. Okay, the, the, yes, but I'm saying so. Yeah. I guess, I guess you could say that, but right. But he is, it is stretching it from the Shulchan Aruch. Shulchan Aruch saying one thing: an ill person or a woman to give birth, the assumption up to thirty days, she still uh, has a week. Okay, okay. Um, that's why you're not my rabbi, Ron. I don't ask you a lot of question. Um, so he says like this: me, then. Um, uh, so, so the, but the Ramah is a little stricter than the Cairo. He adds on here, he says, but no, again, the, the custom is Lisanos, that these people fast, as long as there's no great pain to them, where it could lead to danger. And someone who's lenient, they, didn't, they don't lose this, we don't, it's not a problem. You allow people to be lenient in this, but he's saying, as Manny mentioned before, if it's possible to fast, you could start fasting. You feel weak, even if you're somewhat ill, he's saying, you should try to fast, but if you don't, it's okay. Chill out. Okay, so now, this, that's the Shulchan Aruch, and, and the, the Chavetz Chaim here, the Mishabura, points out, to say what he says, they don't need assessment from a doctor, so he explains that. He says, um, it's going on both, he says, the pregnant, the woman who gave birth within 30 days, and the, also the, any, any ill person, the Cheni Sebeteros Adam, quotes others that say the same thing, you don't have to start assessing the person, will they come to danger by fasting or not? Um, it's, that's irrelevant. Even if there's no danger, even if they fast, since they're in the category of an ill person, they, they, they don't have to fast. The rabbis never instituted the fast for that category of people. Um, okay, so that's, that's what he says. Now, so I just want to point out one thing before we go on the other responses. So the Piralacha actually brings here in this he discusses cholera, and we might have mentioned this um, a long time ago, in the beginning of the pandemic, but he says he even talks about masks, which is was fascinating to me. And I'll read you the Biralach is another commentator, the Chavetz Chaim commentator on the Shulchan Aruch, and then he wrote a separate, more elaborate um, explanations of the various opinions in another, in a separate part here. So he says, it's called, that's called the Biralach. So he says, I am a safer Pischeolum, he quotes some other book, the Bemakum Shena Machla Shel Chalaria Chazaka, in a place where you have the pandemic of cholera or an, uh, epidemic, in those maybe, or was it, well, I think it was a pandemic in most of those times historically. So he says, if in a place where it's not so strong, okay, uh, meaning you're living in, in uh, I don't know what would be, in uh, Wyoming, middle of Wyoming, so there's very little. Um, uh, COVID there, okay, reported cases. I'm, I'm, I don't know if that's true, I'm just guessing. But I don't know, don't take me up on that. I want you going on a trip on Wyoming based on what I'm saying. Um, so he says, in a place, where, if you're living in a place where the illness of the, the pandemic of cholera is not strong, so he says, then you should eat less than the the requisite amount, Bechtechilas Pras. In other words, again, wait that nine minutes. So, not sure if he might be even arguing on the chief rabbi according, to address your point, Ron. He's saying in a, if you're living in a place where there's really not much of the pandemic around, there's a pandemic going on, but it's in your area, it's not strong. So, he says you should try to fast, or if you're going to break, he said, no, he doesn't, sorry. He says you should break your fast, but eat in that minimal way and not just have a um, eat whatever you want. Um, and he says, Cain, he puts in parentheses, he says, 
Kain Yesh Lahoris Lashal B'Tishbav. He says that's how we should rule for someone who asks on Tishbav during times of pandemic. Shabazelo Neka Tainus Lagamri. He says at least you, we won't uproot the fast completely because if we make across-the-board rulings stating that everyone has to break their fast. And during pandemic times, he says, then you won't have basically Tisha B'Av will fall away. So therefore, it's best if someone asks. So you should tell him he could eat, but he should eat less than the requisite amount within nine minutes. Umishi Yitzelisanos. He says, let's say you have these crazy religious fanatics who want to fast. Okay, so he says in that situation, someone wants to fast. Listen to this. Uh, I found this fascinating. In a place, he's only allowing someone to fast. He's really telling you if you live in a place where this pandemic is strong, it sounds like he's saying you should not be fasting, at least for cholera. Again, he's not addressing COVID. But, uh, and, and, and as we saw way back when, a few months ago, in the beginning of the pandemic, we discussed that the Post can point out that cholera was a stomach disease which is related to eating, as opposed to COVID, which has nothing to do with food, we assume, at least in, in our, based on our lack of knowledge. So, but he says, so he says, really you shouldn't fast, but if you have these Few people who want to fast, he says. Yeshul Yat, so you should advise him. Listen to these words, unbelievable. Lazero, and you should warn him. Shalom Yelech Mepesach Beisakol Yom. He should not leave his home all day. Lachricho, and um, and to force him, he says. Kishayet, say if he does go out of his house, Yisa Saviv Lachot Mopiv. He should wrap around his mouth and nose. Chatichas Camper, a piece of uh, camper. I don't know what camper is, but some type of. Uh, Material, he says, that he should wrap around his mouth. I think camper is the Yiddish word for bandana. And umat a seven, some type of grass. I think they would put like a smir- you know, I don't know what that's for, around his mouth and nose. Ad um, kamlishano. So he's basically fascinating. He's quoting someone else. He wrote this in the 1920s, probably. But he's quoting a previous book, which says, if you're going to go out of your house on, on Tishbev, advise them not to go out. If they do go out, make sure they wear a mask. So unbelievable. So you see, uh, 100 years ago, and they were still pushing masks. Uh, the, the, uh, that's for the conspiracy theorists. Nothing new. Yes, Shelley. You're a cousin. Do you have a cousin? Oh, Montana. Yeah, it's all the same. Los Angeles, New York, Montana, Wyoming. I hope you're not pregnant 30 days after you deliver. That would be a... Right, yes. Um, No one really listens to the chief rabbi, honestly. But, um, generally speaking, he's just... More profound story. I mean, it's not like his, you know, really. But but what he since he knows that, so he gets other big rabbis to sign on whenever he writes a letter. He gets them to sign on. So he did get, I believe, in this case, to all the most of the major rabbis signed on to his ruling. So, so then that's why it has teeth to it. Uh, but he himself is just uh, he's a government employee. No, so this is, I'll tell you why, every rabbi knows this because they, this is probably, Yom Kippur and Tisha B'Av are the busiest times of the year because every pregnant woman, nursing woman, and their husband and their uncle are calling up and asking these questions about, do I have to fast, can I take my vitamin D, my zinc, my, uh, my I need my Wheaties, whatever it is. So it's, it's a standard, I mean, this is like, rabbis get hundreds of questions this time of the year, you can't reach a rabbi. You, you know, that's why I shut my phone. I change my number this time of the year. Usually, I change my. But I'm saying so. Yeah. So it's every these these every rabbi has to know because it's a standard. This is standard. Uh, probably the most asked question is Yom Kippur and Tisha B'av. You know, everyone's calling you with the you know I have a stubbed toenail and my ingrown toenail. Do I have to fast or whatever? So.
So, though, listen, the Jerusalem Post published this on the 27th, which was two days ago. When did he say it? it could be he did say it a week ago. I don't know. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, he probably did say it. If it's published twice, he probably said at least two days before that. So it is almost a week. I'm guessing. I, I, it doesn't say when he said it. You can Google it. Um, okay, so so what's fascinating is, so that's just for me, the mask, um, 100 years ago, writing about masks was interesting. But what I'd like to go to is, so I found another response. It was written yesterday, hot off the presses by Rabbi Herschel Schechter. So there's actually two responses that he wrote, and he's addressing use washing your hands and hand sanitizer on Tisha B'Av. Um, and he wrote this, I can't let me see the date here, Haftes Tammuz, which he wrote this probably, Haftes, uh, that was, Shchodesh was last Wednesday, so he wrote this on Tuesday, last Tuesday, so it's over a week ago, he did write this. And he has, you know what, maybe, oh, should I put it? Nah, I'm not going to put it up on screen, because it's Rashi letters anyway. So, um, but he, he does have, usually when he writes, this is Rav Hashem Shechter, who is the uh, Rosh Hashiva in YU. Like I said, one of the, we've read from him before, he's amazing. In, during this pandemic, he's probably produced around at least, I would say, over 100 responses already, just on pandemic issues since before Passover, since before Pesach, when this started, since March. So... You know, he's literally um, putting out this stuff. It's pretty amazing. So so he wrote this, again, this is from a week ago. He wrote two chuvas. Well, you'll see why. Somewhat controversial. And he had to readdress it uh, yesterday. So this was from a week ago. And I'm going to read you. Many of his chuvas, since he's an American rabbi, he does put like a summary at the bottom in English. So he doesn't put in all the detail, but I'll read you first the English summary, summary, and then I'll show you why you have to read Hebrew to read responsum because he doesn't he leaves out a key part in a summary which is very controversial as we'll see so in the English part he writes like this it is rabbinically forbidden to wash oneself with either hot or cold water on Tisha B'av. He's, he's saying generally in a normal year that's the halacha um, just like on Yom Kippur we don't know whatever is not allowed on Yom Kippur is also not allowed on Tisha B'av. so um, rabbinically speaking so he says rabbinically forbidden to wash oneself either hot or cold water on Tisha B'av, unless it is for the purpose of removing dirt from one's body okay so now just on Yom Kippur if let's say you came to shul and you stepped into a car drove by and splashed you with mud of course you're allowed to wash the mud off your body now it's technically what we prohibit bathing and washing on Yom Kippur and Tisha B'av is for pleasure just uh, no, it's not to remove dirt if you're doing it to remove dirt technically it's permitted even on Yom Kippur although we're strict somewhat and then he puts a parenthesis which includes washing hands wake up in the morning we don't even do what's called negavas you know the tilt in the morning except the, the fingertips um it's all we allowed to be done on your kipper and tishaba then he goes on to say individuals who have been vi- so listen um so this is the key point he says individuals who have been vigilant in following the updated cdc recommendations would be allowed to wash or sanitize their hands on tishaba as they otherwise would. So he's saying someone who's washing their hands every 20 seconds, um, not every 20 seconds, but for 20 seconds every five minutes, um, or whenever they're, they're nervous that they came in contact with something because of COVID. So he says they can do the same on Tisha B'av. Okay, they, whatever the CDC guidelines are, they have every right to do the same on Tisha B'av. There is no allowance but, uh, so this is the key point, he says, but there is no allowance for those who have disregarded the CDC recommendations, as this would be categorized as rechitza, which is rabbinically prohibited on Tisha So he says, let's say you're one of those guys, we're not going to mention who those people are, but people who believe this whole thing is a, is a farce, and you're not, you ha- you're not washing your hands. Okay, you're walking around without a mask, you're not washing your hands. So he says, for that person, it would be prohibited for them to wash their hands on Tisha you can't use COVID as an excuse. If you believe this whole thing is a conspiracy, okay, and you're not washing your hands the whole year, I mean, not the whole year, but since COVID started, you believe you're not doing that. And all of a sudden now, Tisha B'Av, you say, okay, today, <laughs> CDC guidelines, I got to wash my hands. So he says, no, that's prohibited. It's permitted if you've been washing your hands all along. Okay, now, what, how does this make sense? What happened to Pikoch Nefesh here? What happened? What's going on? You know, as if it's dangerous, right? I'm assuming he's not a conspiracy theorist. He believes that you should be washing your hands. So then, what's what is why is he saying if you if you don't 
um, there's no allowance for those who have disregarded the CDC recommendations, as this would be categorized as rechitza, which is rabbinically prohibited on Tishbab. So, so if you go to the Hebrew, so he seems to address, he, he, he addresses it in much more detail. So I'm going to read you the Hebrew now, and then we're going to see, he, it seems like there was such an uproar about this response that he actually had to explain himself in an amended response. Um, because people were not happy about what he wrote or didn't understand what he wrote. So he writes like this um, in the Hebrew, I'm reading you the Hebrew now. The, the title here um, is Rechitza B'Tishabav, washing, washing on Tishabav. And again, this is dated 29th of Tammuz, which was last Tuesday. Um, he says, Kaimul Anladina, we, we rule according to Allah, and he quotes the Shachnarach, Shafil Lahoshet Etzbal Bamaim Asr, even to stick your pinky or your finger into water is prohibited on, on Tishabab. That's the halacha, which I didn't read you, the Shachnarach says. No, if you're just sticking your pinky into, into a dish of water, that's a problem on Tishabab. Whether it's hot, whether it's cold. Elim Kain, says the Shachnarach, Yadav Miluchlechas Betitu Bitsaya. You went to the bathroom, you have dirt on your hands. Except, that's the Shulchan Aruch says, if you have um, dirt or, or excrement or something like that, um, we allow you to wash your hands. Shaz ain't lahatr kal yadav. Even then, you don't have to wash your whole hands. You only allow to wash the place where the dirt is. El arak based on the need. Um, this is, again, this is the Shulchan Aruch speaking, not him. Well, yadav shachris, in the morning to wash your hands um, for negavasar, says Meshumurach Ra. Because of the heebie-jeebies, that's considered like your hands are dirty. Okay, and he says, see the Shachnarach, see the Mishnah Bru there. So now he's addressing COVID. So he goes on to say now, during times of pandemic, which is still amongst us, um, already brings, that of course we permit um, washing during pandemic times, um, based on the necessity. This is where he puts in, for those that are concerned, for those that are concerned and wear a mask on their mouth and nose, because they obviously are, are reviewing this pandemic as a suffix sakana for them. That even if they're not affected, but they don't want to catch it. So for them, it's suffix sakana. That means it's a doubtful question of danger to their life. So he says, for them, it's 100% permitted. So he says, if you're wearing a mask and you're concerned about CDC guidelines or your county's guidelines, clearly you believe it's sakana, and therefore you can do whatever needs to be done according to those CDC guidelines. But for those that are not concerned, there are people, as we know, who don't seem very concerned, the Karens in Trader Joe's. Umakilim bechal archakos shetziv samim shala, and he says, and they're makel, they're lenient on all the guidelines that the government has laid out. And he, so here he puts in the key words, which we discussed in the past. Midin shama psaim Hashem. They're saying shama psaim, the famous catch-all loophole. Shama psaim Hashem. God guards the foolhardy. Right, which we already discussed at length, um, that there's a concept that if society is doing something, you can go along with society, even though it might uh, be somewhat, somewhat a danger attached to it. So he says, For those people, So they, if they're not concerned and they, about any of these guidelines, and they're not concerned that it's a sakana, so then they should... Um, go ahead and, and they can't wash their hands either. Same thing applies to wash their hands. Well, for them it remains the the prohibition of washing your hands will remain in place because they don't believe in this stuff anyway. So which is sounds crazy to me when I read it the first time. The same would apply to cleaning your hands with a disinfectant. For those who are concerned about COVID, for them it's a real, it's a questionable sakana, and of course they can use disinfectant on tishuba. It's as if their hands are dirty, with with uh, with dirt to mutter. It's permitted. But those who are not concerned about COVID, and they're not, they're not, uh, they don't keep any of the guidelines. According to their opinion, they're relying on Shem Hashem. 
it makes sense, it's logical they would not be able to use disinfectant on Tishaba. So, yes, it sounds uh, a very strange response. Shelly, go ahead. not saying that God's protecting them. He's not necessarily condoning what they're saying, but he but he's saying, listen, if you don't believe in the in the guidelines, so Tishabov all of a sudden can't change now, all of a sudden I believe in the God. Ah, so so listen, he doesn't want to accuse it's a good point. So let me I, the way I understand what he's saying is like this is He's, he's understanding people are not just crazy conspiracy theorists, some of these people. They obviously, they're, they're halachically observant Jews. So they're, they're saying, they're rationalizing what they're doing, not because it's a conspiracy, but based on Shem Sam which I told you, I've gotten calls from uh, actually a rabbi in a shul who was asking me how to answer. There are people in the shul saying they don't want to, they're not wearing a mask because Shem Sam Hashem. How does he answer them? He wanted to know how to address it. He called me asking me for help, how to address the issue. Um, so, so that's what he's. So he's saying he's sort of what we call in the, the jargon, the Talmudic jargon, He's trying to find the rationale for these people. So he's saying they must be can't be violating Allah. Allah requires you to to be careful in areas of pikuach nefesh. So it must be they're 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 relying on the concept of shom psaim hashem. So if that's what you're relying on, then it doesn't change. It doesn't change for uh, tishba. Nothing. Nothing would change. Or they're relying on the excuse of being simple-minded. <laughs> yes. Right. Yes. So now, what, what's interesting is it's a very strange thing. Either it is dangerous or it's not. If it's bikuch nefesh. So, what are we required to do? If we're required to listen to CDC guidelines, which we explained very clearly, we are. Um, you know, halachically speaking, if that's what's determined by the medical community that this is necessary, so then, then it's a sakat. Then how? Either we can rely on it or we can't rely on it. Why is he, first of all, why is he giving credence to these people who are not keeping the CDC guidance? That's one question that I think people are bothered by. Why, why are you giving them credence? These people are crazy, as we know. I don't want to offend anyone here. On the, uh, if, any, if it's one of you, that's your prerogative. Please don't mention it here. But, right, so these people, why are we giving them credence? That's number one. Number two is, it's either dangerous or it's not dangerous. Which one is it? If it's dangerous, then, then we have to do it. If it's not dangerous, so then then you can't do it on Tisha B'Av. Why are we permitting us to wash our hands on Tisha B'Av if it's not? So it's very troubling, this truth, and I think a lot of people probably approached him about it. I didn't see anything about it, but the fact that yesterday he came and wrote a addendum to this response and explaining the, his opinion in a great Allah detail, clearly people were tr- troubled by it. So I'll get to the second part. I just want to point out Someone pointed this out to me on Friday, actually a brother of mine who's very cynical about the, these people, these religious Jews who are not keeping the guidelines. I'm not saying, I'm not grouping anyone, but there are religious Jews who are saying, yeah, so he was pointing out, I was, telling, I was telling him about my daughter coming home from camp, she was asking me, so I said in the camp, it's, you know, they tested you before you came to camp, she was in camp in Indiana, they tested you before and then officially the rule was no one's going to be allowed in and out of camp, which my daughter said not true. There were plenty of people coming in and out of camp, and um, for for the three weeks, and and also people who did, um, you know, did were sick in the camp or had some type of symptoms. They didn't test them because they realized if they test one girl was tested positive, the whole camp would have to close down. So they just put them in an infirmary. If you had any sore throat. Um, they put you in. They put you in quarantine, which was a joke. Also, girls were visiting the girls in the in quarantine, but but uh, the the whole thing was a joke. I mean, my my daughter said someone had a sore throat in a bunk, but she didn't want to tell anyone because she was scared they'll, they'll be put in quarantine. So either so far, listen, no one has it that I know about. But the whole thing was a joke. So he was saying how you know we're so concerned, as we know, as we discussed in the past. Halacha says you can't uh, have meat and uh, mil- milk. Sorry. 
meat and fish on the same plate or the same fork, you have to wash your mouth in between because it's dangerous, medically dangerous. And we t told today, most people are very strict about cashless agencies won't allow uh, the same, uh, you have to have double forks and uh, and two plates for the, if you have a, you know, smorgasbord, they require separate tables, HK, right? Which is extreme. No, no doctor today will tell you that eating meat and, and, and fish together is dangerous, right? No, so as my brother pointed out, one second, there's no one in the emergency room that ate meat and, and uh, fish together. He's never met anyone in the emergency room that did that. But when it comes to wearing masks or all these restrictions of the CDC, which is literally could, you know, kill you. No, Shabbat Shalom Hashem. That we're going to rely on, on the fool. You know, God's God, God guards the foolish, the simple-minded. Like he's saying, it's ridiculous. Like what? No, there's something wrong. When you have religious people saying, you know, eat meat and fish, oh my gosh, I have to have at least a quarter pint of, uh, of schnapps in between my meat and fish, and then and three pieces of challah to wash in my mouth, and then have another plate and fork and throw it out if it touched it. Um, but when it comes to wearing a mask, you know, God, you know, God guards the fool heart. Yeah, so uh, Manny, one, okay, one second. One at a time, one at a time. Yeah. He's not saying, he's saying that's what they're saying. He's quoting them. Right, that's the question, you're right. Yes, it's a good question, I agree. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. I think that's why he had a amend it. We'll see you in a second. Manny, what were you going to say? Yes, I know of people, I'm sorry to say, I do know people personally who are now, well, yeah, I mean, in shul, in, listen, shuls are being very strict, but there's one shul particular that I'm aware of that the, I told you, the rabbi called me, asked me, how does he answer people who are complaining about the guidelines? And they don't want to do it. They're saying it's ridiculous, etc. This was a while ago. To be honest, this was um, probably two months ago already. So it could be now, it's shame, but... No, no, it was, before, it was after the CDC, but I'm saying it was when the shuls started opening in Houston, um, the beginning when things weren't so bad here, so I don't know what's going on now, but in that particular shoe, right? But there are, I do know people who, like I told you, is one guy, a physician nonetheless, who uh, refused to go to shul because they had distancing in the shul, it was too far. They had eight, they had eight feet between each chair, and he said it's ridiculous, an arbitrary number. When they go down to, to four feet between each chair, I'll go back to shul. That's what this guy told the doctor, nonetheless. <laughs> so. So uh, you have all types of people out there. He was upset that they were distancing too much. Some people are upset that distancing is not enough. Some people, you know, it's, it's Jews. You can never make them happy. This one's upset the air conditioner is blowing around the COVID, shut the AC. This one says, no, it's better to have circulating air. You can never win as a rabbi. That's why I'm, I'm uh, changing careers soon. <laughs> yeah, Shelly, we got to finish. I want to get to the response, but hurry up. Quick comment. Yes, all rabbis that I know about, I've never seen a rabbi permitting not wearing a mask in all the response I've seen so far, all the rulings. Yes, yes, everyone says you should follow all CDC guidelines. It's, again, there are obviously some people. No, as far I, the shuls in Houston are all doing that. How strict, some shuls might not be as strict, meaning if a guy walks in and he moves into the other guy's uh, zone, you know, do they kick him out on the spot? That's, I don't, I don't know, I haven't been going to shuls, so I can't tell you exactly what's going on. I can tell you that, uh, I know Rabbi Kobian, I'm, I'm going there, the only place I'm going in Tishabov, he's having outdoor services tonight with social distancing, I'm going, that's, everyone else is having indoor, so I'm going to the outdoor um, 
Yes, he's again, he seems, uh, this is the issue here. Why is he seemingly, in a certain sense, trying to answer for those people? He's not saying they're right. He just, he seems to be trying to find a, a rationale for their craziness. He's really... Yeah, but he doesn't even say it. If he would say right, I get it. In a certain sense, he is saying that. But so, okay. Let, I want to because we only have a few more minutes. So let's. I want to just read his amendment to the response, in which is published Ches of which was yesterday. Um, actually, today. Today's Ches of. So I don't know. It came out yesterday, but it's dated today. Um, okay. So the um, he's so here. This this response is. Washing hands, response to number two, but didn't show up Hashem. So he's gonna explain the way he understands God guarding the foolheartedly, which is we gave a whole class on it, so I don't wanna get too bogged down in it, um, and explain how it fits in with what he was saying. Because obviously he had a lot of um, people with had issue with his response. So he starts with saying Rashi on Parsha's Vizosa Bracha where Torius, there's a verse there that talks about Brischayin Soru, when they came into the land of Israel. So the Gemara says that the 40 years in the desert, that the Jews were in the desert, they did not do any circumcision on their children because there were certain winds in the desert that they felt would be dangerous to their children, you know, after a Brit Milah um, that would affect the circumcised child. So there was no circumcision done, it's a fascinating concept related to this topic, um, during the 40 years in the desert. Um, but it says, that's um, only the, the, the masses didn't circumcise their son. Kimezeg Avir is going to Gemara because the, the certain desert conditions, it would make some type of suffix sakana a doubtful danger to the circumcised child. But it says, Rak Shevet Levi Kimamila. But Shevet Levi, the tribe of Levi, did, do, did circumcise their children. Okay, that's what the Gemara says. Very strange. So Kfar Amabizai says the Chassam Sofer, who was a uh, Hungarian halachic authority in the 1700s, he has in response to him, he addresses this dichotomy. He says, Maya What was Moshe's reason? He says that he allowed Shevet Levi or didn't allow everyone else to do Mila. If there was a true danger to life by circumcising, by doing performing a circumcision in the desert, so he should have prohibited it also to the Levium. To the tribe of Levi, he shouldn't have allowed them to circumcise their sons. If there was no real danger, that he should have forced everyone else to do Mila. So what's going on here? It says that all of, of the Bnei Israel did not do circumcision in the 40 years in the desert. But the tribe of Levi did do the circumcision. So what was Moshe thinking? Is it halachically, if it fits the criteria of danger, then Shevet Levi should not have been allowed to do it either. If it doesn't fit the criteria of danger, then everyone else should have done it. So what's going on? That's the Chassam Sofer's question. I did not see this response inside. I just saw this, I just read this an hour ago, so I didn't have time to look it up. Um, so he says, I, so he says, based on the um, explanation, so he says, you could explain this dichotomy in a very simple way. The concern of danger is a very low um, statistic. It's statistically dangerous, a very low percentage rate. Very much, much lower than 50-50. He says in all those type of cases where you have a statistical danger that's lower than 50% chance, so if it's 50% chance, then you automatically if you can't do perform the mitzvah. I tell you, everyone would agree there's a 50% chance of danger. To, it's prohibited to perform that mitzvah. Um, such in this case circumcision. But he says once it's lower, it's very far away from 50. He doesn't give you a number, but let's say it's 10% danger. Okay. So he says anything in that category hadint So he says in that case. It's the patient's prerogative, or it's what their mindset is. It will depend on how they view it, their perception. For those who view, they're the nervous type, and they take all government, all danger seriously, right? And they are concerned about danger, even if it's only a 10% danger. So for them, Dina Kesafik Sakana. So in their, for them, the Allah says, for them, it's considered a doubtful danger. 
and therefore they can they should not they don't have to do circumcise their kids and those that are not concerned but those that say yeah 10% it's the same as driving on 610 or driving on 610 is more dangerous so therefore for them we apply this this heading this ruling of God guards the full army and therefore it's not considered a doubtful danger he says he quotes different uh, books that we read, the Igris Moshe, that we did in our class a few, a month ago too. He says, therefore, the, the Levim, the tribe of Levi, and the rest of Klaisro was both doing Kalacha, each one according to their perception. Um, he says, Sheva Levi, that were bigger Bali Betachan, so to speak, they were greater, um, they had a higher level of faith, he calls it. So, therefore, they weren't concerned about the 10% danger to their life. Um, and they didn't consider that enough of a suffix sakana, and therefore they circumcised their, their children. But the other tribes, they were concerned. They weren't. Uh, they weren't relying on faith so much. They therefore um, considered it suffix sakana, a suffix, a doubtful danger to life, and therefore they did not circumcise for the forty years and then. Okay, he says vaf. Even though we have a rule in general in Jewish medical ethics. Um, no one's in charge of their bodies as we always say we don't believe in the feminist um, concept of your, our bodies ourselves we don't own our bodies that's not true for men or, or women what? yes I said for men yes right none of us own our bodies men and women and surely men don't own women's bodies um, so the Supreme Court has no right to rule over a woman's body Right ahead, you, you till now, you were fine, Ron. It's pretty good. 929, I had you till 929. Okay, so we're running out of time. So he says, even though normally we say we're not in charge of our own bodies, he quotes a verse um, that, of course, we're not allowed to harm our bodies, etc. Um, but he says, but he says, about when it comes to this issue of I have to make a medical decision on my own life and decide is this uh, enough of a danger or not so he says then in that case you are in charge of it technically you do have you to write to make the decision about your body um, he says Achim who aches a sakana rak echad melaf even if it's only one in um, many thousands um, then the, obviously if it's a negligible number he's pointing out then of course there's no suffix sakana I can't say you know I stub my toe I have to go to the hospital on Shabbos you know, obviously it has to be within a normal um, number, uh, statistical number. If it's a 0.0% chance. He says, He says, therefore the application of applying the concept of God guards the simple is depends on each person. He has to make a decision. What is this a real danger or is this not a real danger in my, in my life, for me, personally? So if... So that, and that's what he goes on to explain. We're not going to have time to read the whole tshuva. It's long. Um, he talks about also, do parents have a right to make a decision? Because clearly in the desert, you see it's not about their life. They're making a decision about their child's life. So he says, of course, if the child can't make a decision, so then the decision would be made by the person who's liable and responsible for their health. Um, so that's what he explains about the desert. So just to finish off, he says, um, um, so the same thing would apply. That's why a patient could make a decision where, let's say you have a treatment that's dangerous, surgery that could jeopardize, you know, uh, right, uh, 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 let's say, uh, uh, what's it called? A bone marrow transplant. So as we know, the, the, the risk in bone marrow transplant is very high for leukemia patients, for other types of diseases, to, uh, you know, graft versus host disease, etc. So he says it's therefore the prerogative of the patient to make that same decision because even though they're not in charge of their bodies, but when it comes to something like that, where, where the risks, no, no time shall, one second, let me finish, the risks versus the benefits, so once the risks involved, then it's the prerogative of the patient to make that decision, should they take that risk or not, based on the same concept. He says, Chein Dover he finishes off the last paragraph, it's obvious to me, Shemisha Ovid, so he says also, so, so therefore it applies here, I just want to see where he applies it to Corona. So now he says also, by the way, he, he, interestingly enough, he says, but let's say there's an interesting case. He says, I'm a nurse or a doctor in a hospital, and I'm not so worried about corona, 
I don't wear, you know, I don't follow all the CDC guidelines when I get home. But he says if you're working in a, in a facility, in a hospital, where you deal with other patients, he says then it's not your prerogative to say, well, I'm Hashem, Hashem, Hashem. You know, I'm going to rely on, I'm not going to do the CDC guidelines because it's very minimal danger. Because that's not for you to decide on someone else's life. You could only decide on your own body. So where you're not wearing a mask or you're going, you're working in a hospital where it's going to affect other people, he says, this whole thing is out the window. You can't say, well... I'm Shomra, I'm Shomra Psalm Hashem. So that's a very fascinating thing. He says very clearly, he says, it's obvious if you work in a hospital, either like as a nurse or a doctor, I myself am not so um, careful about it in my own life. But according to the hospital guidelines, he says, you have to wash your hands, disinfectant every once in a while, whatever it is, because of the doubtful danger. Um, of course, you have to follow the hospital guidelines in that case and, and be concerned about the other person's life. So just because you're being lenient for yourself, he says, doesn't give you the license to, not, uh, to be lenient when it affects other people's lives. So he's sort of correcting himself here. Um, again, but it's not... not uh, uh, obviously, he had a lot of flack for writing the original tshuva, but again, he seems in some way to be condoning what these people are doing, which is prob- which I have a problem with. He's much greater than me. I, I, you know, I don't have a right to argue with him, but um, I, I, I'm not happy with this response.